years ago, I remember reading a story about a woman who was asked to sing for a very extravagant wedding. It was a privilege for her to be asked to do this. And then after this wedding, there was a reception, as is often the case with weddings, but this was like a reception, like no other reception, spare no expenses. And so she sang at this wedding, and then she and her husband went to this reception at whatever place it was. They go up the elevator, they get up there, and even at this wedding, they had uh, attendants that were outside the dining entrance with the book for RSVP. And so she told them her name, and they looked through the book, and they couldn't find her name. And then she says... I sang at the wedding, clearly I am, I am a guest. And they said, I'm sorry, ma'am, your name's not in this book. And so they escorted her and her husband to an elevator and sent them back down. And when they got into the car, her husband asked her, what happened? And she said, I remember getting the RSVP, but I just assumed because I was the singer that I didn't need to respond. I'm sure she never made that same mistake again with any RSVP. But the reason why I give this illustration is because as we get into Genesis 25 this morning, we're going to read about various people who are connected to Abraham, um, even treated as special by Abraham, but there's only one that actually has a special blessing from God. In these 18 verses, we read about Abraham's descendants, his many children who come from him naturally. And yet there's only, how I'm going to word it, there's only one who has supernatural blessing. And this, this one is, so to speak, supernaturally born. The rest in this list, natural blessings, natural born. And I can't help but wonder if, if the main point or one of the points in these 18 verses is to emphasize that just because you might have a physical connection to Abraham doesn't mean you get the same blessing as Abraham. In other words, you could be invited to the wedding, but that doesn't mean you're going to participate in the glorious reception after. You need a supernatural connection. So the main idea of this sermon today is the supernatural son of Abraham, not the natural children, receives the blessings of the Lord. Now, even as I say this, some of you might sound or think that sounds confusing, so we're going to step back. We're going to read these 18 verses. I'll give a backdrop to these 18 verses, and then we'll jump in to try to flesh this out. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, go to Genesis 25, and we're going to read verses 1 through 18 together. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimram, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Ashurim, Latushim, and Lumim. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanak, 
Abida, and Eldah. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts, and while he was still living, he sent, away, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled in Beer Lahai Roy. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth, Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, Adbeel, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tima, Jatur, Nafish, and Kedemah. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their encampments, 12 princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. In case your minds wandered in this reading, we're going to take a step back and rephrase what takes place here, okay? But maybe as you were reading this, a question came to your mind that often comes to my mind uh, when I read about people in the Old Testament time period, especially someone like Abraham, where we find out here, he took another's wife whose name was Keturah, and then just a couple of verses down, it also says she's a concubine. And so we're wondering, like, who is this person? Is she a wife or is she a concubine? And what is going on here? How many of you ever ask questions about, like, why? Any, you know, why? Abraham! Um, I want to just say this again. I know I've mentioned it in previous sermons. God... God does not approve of polygamy or even of the concubines. Jesus later on in his ministry said that God's laws also had laws within it in recognition of the sinfulness of human beings' hearts. What we see in the scriptures is clearly God's patience with people, right? And God's patience with people even in this. And by the time you get to Jesus' ministry, when Jesus is talking to his disciples about what God's intention for marriage actually is, do you remember what the disciples' response was? Like, nobody should get married. Because, like, these rules are really high. Like, God's standard is way up here. Even by the time of the disciples, they were shocked. That that was God's original intention all along. And it was his original intention, Right? Because in Genesis chapter 2, we read, Therefore a man, this is, this is Moses' insertion into this letter for the people of Israel to know. This is God's standard. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Who were born, oh sorry, they shall become one flesh. That's, that's for future. The therefore is the conclusion. Okay? I'm not going to go 
any further into this except to say God does not approve of polygamy or concubines just because people did it. Okay? But now we want to get into this story. And, oh, I do need to make sure that I mention this as well. In the ancient world, there were different statuses of women as well uh, who were married to men. You could have, you can have concubine, you can have another type of concubine that was actually the maidservant of the wife. We have that with Abraham, right? And that was Hagar. And that, the status of that concubine is higher than a regular concubine. Okay, then you have the wife, which would be Sarah, right? Clearly here, Keturah is considered a wife, so there's a commitment level that Abraham has. And so there were also children that came through her as well. In all of this, again, recognize God's patience. God's patience. And also God's grace through that patience to Abraham and even to Abraham's naturally born children. We have here the names of Abraham's children through Keturah. And, and these names of children actually represent future people groups. They, they, they ended up settling in areas of Arabia near Egypt. So I don't have like the fancy pictures like David did last week of the maps, which I really love. But maybe you'll like this. Pretend this is Palestine. It's not Michigan because my thumb's not out. Okay. So this is Palestine. And Keturah's descendants are here, okay? And maybe down a little bit. So southeast, that's Keturah. Got it? Make complete sense. This is helpful, okay? Now, there to the south and southeast. And it makes sense that Moses is putting all this in here at this point in time because this is kind of like reading a will. What happened to Abraham's family and his estate upon his death? And this is what we see from Keturah's children. Then we have Ishmael show up as well. And Ishmael and Isaac are unique because Isaac comes from the wife. Ishmael comes from Hagar, the handmaid to the wife. Unique status. So we read about Ishmael and Isaac and they bury Abraham. And they bury Abraham where? Where Sarah was buried in the cave in Machpelah. That was the cave that Abraham purchased decades before for the burial of Sarah. Now, what's interesting here, and I'm just going to leave this for a moment. We're not going to comment more at this point. But it says that Abraham is buried with his people. And that's a very intriguing statement because as far as we know, only Sarah is buried in there. So what does that mean that Abraham's buried with his people? And just Sarah's in there. We'll get to that in a little bit. But after this, we're, we're given more information about Ishmael and his children. And Ishmael, he has his lineage and they, his lineage, they don't settle in Arabia, okay? They settle in the Assyrian region. So again, if we go back to last week and David's map that he had, if you remember that servant that went up to find Rebekah, it was way up here, okay? That would be the Assyrian region as well, the future Assyrian region. So that's where Ishmael and his lineage go. And his lineage turns into 12 tribes, large powerful people groups. Very powerful. Ishmael is blessed tangibly in worldly ways. But Ishmael becomes very troublesome to Abraham's other children. It's interesting in the text, we're told that he is over 
and against them. Like that's the idea that's communicated. Not the, look at this. Israel, that's where Isaac and the promise is. And then you have the blessings to Keturah's children here in Arabia. And you have Ishmael up here. This is a physical picture of Ishmael and his desire to take control and power over all of Abraham's other kids. Over and against to gain control. Now, in the midst of all of these names and in the midst of all of these locations, there's actually only a few words that are given to Isaac. But wait a second. Isaac is the special son, right? Right? Why isn't there more said about Isaac? We just have, let's see here. um, Verse 5, Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. There's one verse. And then you have verse 11, after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son. And Isaac settled in Behir Lahai Roy. That's it. Two verses. Five and eleven. Everything else is to the other children they're talking about. I think that that should cause us to wonder. The, the, the seeming disparity or difference between talking about Isaac and talking about these other children should actually cause us to focus on what is actually being said in these few words about Isaac. There's something intriguing going on. Because if you note here, in verse 5, Abraham blesses him. But in verse 11, who blesses him? God. Isaac is uniquely blessed by God himself. Something special, unique, and supernatural is going on. And I have a question for you. Why then, why is Isaac blessed? Did God bless Isaac because Isaac, simply because Isaac was a biological child of Abraham? What? I, don't, I see some heads nodding. No. Why? Because he has other children, right? So it's not simply because he has biological children. Does, does God bless Isaac because Isaac is somehow more moral or more superior than his other siblings? No. It's not. Did, did Isaac win some kind of power challenge? No, because we know Ishmael is going to have a lot of power that he's going to exert. Isaac doesn't win if that's the case. God blesses Isaac. Why? Because God promised he would bless the seed of the woman, this specific seed of the woman coming through Sarah. God promised it. That's why God is blessing him, because God promised. It's not the unique, special resume that Isaac has. And that should be tremendously encouraging to Isaac, shouldn't it? Because if God's promises related to anything that Isaac did or anything within Isaac, if any of those things change, then guess what God can do? Change. If it's dependent on Isaac, it's going to change. But it's not dependent on Isaac. It's dependent on God. So what we see in these verses that discuss Abraham's death and lineage is that God is faithful to his promise. 
In the midst of all the divvying out of all of these other things, God is faithful to his promise and that his promise of blessing is based on himself and not anything else. God's promise is not based on bloodline. It's not based on human will or exertion. It's based on God. And by the way, that ought to be encouraging to us too, right? Right? It should be because if you are blessed by God, it's not because of you. It's not because you have an impressive resume. But many of us were going through the book of John and we saw and even many of us memorized John 1. And in John 1, we, wrote, we read the apostles saying, who were born not of blood or bloodline. Like, that's, that's not what's special. Nor of the will of the flesh, not, not my exertion and power, nor of the will of man. It's not just that I just woke up one day and said, you know, God's a good idea. I, I love Jesus now. No, no, no. I am not born supernaturally because I willed it or somebody else said, you win. Only God. And because God is the one who did it, we're secure. If, if that's you, you're secure. But I am, I know, getting ahead of myself. And I simply want to reiterate as we look at this narrative or at this description of genealogy, we see Isaac in contrast with the rest of his siblings. And I think we can see the supernatural son of Abraham, not the natural children, receives the blessing of the Lord. Now, let's flesh this out a little bit more. And I want to ask, what, what is the blessing? And just by way of reminder... When we see that God blessed Isaac, it's very specific terminology because it's referencing all the way back to Genesis 12 when God called Abraham out of his original homeland and called him to sojourn. And there in Genesis 12, we read, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then this covenant even expanded at a couple of different points in the storyline of Abraham. So we get like Genesis twenty-two seventeen, God saying, I will surely bless you. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. The blessing is specific. And this blessing actually goes further back than simply Abraham. It goes back, as Moses writes, all the way to the promises God made to Adam and Eve after Adam and Eve sinned. After Adam and Eve sinned, God promised to send one who's going to crush the serpent. There's one who's going to come and reverse the curse that's been brought over this entire cosmos and created chaos. There is going to be a day, God is promising, there's going to be a day when, when this broken, not just, not just world and earth, the broken creation, everything is going to be redeemed and restored. And humanity is going to be given a savior that they can trust in who's going to forgive them and cleanse them of their sins and reconcile them to God so that they can live how they were created to live. The serpent crusher is going to come and this serpent crusher is the seed of the woman. And then we get to Abraham, and God promises this seed. And he promises a miraculous birth. 
that's going to take place. This miraculous birth of Isaac. He's the next in line leading to the someday serpent crusher. So the promise of God is progressing from Abraham now to Isaac. And this blessing is clearly, clearly a very special type of blessing. A very specific kind of blessing. And it's an eternal blessing. Abraham and Sarah and the other patriarchs, they knew it was an eternal one. As we've even seen in previous weeks, as the author of Hebrews says, as it is, they desire a better country. That is, can you just say those two words with me? A heavenly one. Was the promise of God only dealing with the current land right now? No. It's dealing with eternal. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has. That's, well, there's so much more we can get into, but that's in the past tense, just want to say. He has prepared for them a city. What? And in this, it says, they desire a better country. By the way, that they there is not only referring to Abraham and Sarah, that they is also referring to Isaac, uh, as the verses preceding indicate. They desired a better country, a heavenly one. Isaac is heirs of this promise. Abraham is heirs of this promise. Therefore, okay, so let's get back to the text, and we read, then we have the blessing, and we know what this blessing is. And then we read in this text, Abraham was gathered with his people. So what, what does that mean? Because he's buried with Sarah, but he's gathered with his people. According to studies on this verbiage in the Hebrew, this indicates a clear understanding of an afterlife. That people like Abraham believed they were going to meet others on the other side or be with others after death. While it's only Abraham and Sarah, seemingly, while it's only Abraham and Sarah in the cave, Abraham is going to meet people like Noah. He's going to meet people like Abel and Adam and Eve and others who depended on the Lord for forgiveness and rescue. The same is going to be true for Isaac. So again, the promise, while, while this promise does include this physical world, like I said last week, the, the promise here is just seeds in this physical world for eternal blessings. Blessings that are eternal and have cosmic proportions. Think, think about that. We got to get perspective here. We got to get perspective on what the blessing is. The blessing is eternal and has cosmic proportions. And the reason why I say that is because if you actually look at what Keturah's children get, and then you look at what Ishmael gets, if you just look at it from a worldly perspective and you read the will, so to speak, if you were sitting at the reading of a will and you were brought up in two short lines and every other sibling gets more space than you, how would you feel? I'm the one, I'm the one blessed. Don't, hey, don't say you wouldn't feel that way. 
I'm not the only selfish person in the room, am I? Okay. That's that. You don't need many words to communicate God's blessing is better than anything else this world has to offer. You hear God blesses you, that's it. That's all that's needed. I mean, I know, I, I often am reminded of my own flawed thinking when I can just look at this world and say, why do they have and why do they have and why do they have? You've all, you've all done that too, right? Or why does this happen to those people? Why do they get that? I, I mean, even very practically speaking, um, how many of you have ever, well, let's, um, when you get something that you want or when circumstances happen the way you think are best. How many of you have ever said, oh, God is so good? Right. Is God good? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And he's very good in those circumstances too. Praise the Lord. Thank you, God. Now, how many of you, when circumstances don't go the way that you think they ought to have gone and or you don't get what you want, how many of you have also in that moment been like, oh, God is good? Anybody? Yeah, I, I'm learning. I'm learning. I know I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. A friend of mine who's 40 years old, four children, married, stage four, liver cancer. Is God good? Was God good the day that she was diagnosed? Absolutely. And God is good today. And God is good the days before that diagnosis as well. God is always good. And God's blessings are always better. Ishmael and Keturah's kids, they can have the horses. They can have the chariots. They can take over the Arabian desert, and they can someday become the nation of Assyria. Give me God. Because as Jesus says, you can have, you can gain the whole world and lose your soul. Right? God is always supremely glorious and worthy. But I think, I know, we can only believe this if, if our eyes have been opened spiritually, our spiritual eyes have been opened to truly understand and grasp this. And so if you're a believer today, like I, I want to give a application for you that comes from the Apostle Paul when he urges us to set our minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. I think this is, this can be drawn from the text we're looking at today. Don't just look at the earthly blessings. Look at the fact that God has blessed Isaac. That's better. So, so then what do we do? If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, 
you could look at the world, you could look at circumstances in your life, and you can focus on the why not and why and how and what and this and that and the other thing. But instead, what the Apostle Paul says is, set your mind on things above. Why? Because that's eternity. There's cosmic blessings to come in being in the presence of God forever and ever. So now, right now, in this fallen world, in this broken world, set your mind on things above. And I actually really like that phraseology of set your mind because I can use a certain illustration that resonates with me at least, and that's with watches. I've got, I have this watch that is, it's called an automatic watch. It's, this is a real watch. I'm just saying. It's better than all y'all's watches. Um, what I mean by automatic, not digital, okay? This thing has no battery in it because as my wrists move, it charges things inside and makes things move. And so, but the thing with automatic watches is they do not keep perfect time. They'll, they'll, it'll always miss. Give it, give it a day. You know, even when you look at automatic watches, it'll be like, this one will gain or lose 15 seconds. This one will gain or lose 30 seconds in a 24-hour time period. So, so what are you, you going to do with an automatic watch? You're going to reset it. And I'm going to reset it again and again, and some of you are going to be like, that's so stupid. Just get an Apple Watch. Right? It, you never have to reset. No. No. <laughs> this is better. Okay. But I've got this. What do I do? Reset. Reset, set, 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 set to the standard. And here's the reality. We as human beings, we can't just be reset every 24 hours. Because we got a flesh and we've got a world around us that continually seeks to distract us on the earth. Focus on the earth, focus on... No, set your mind on things above. This God's word focuses our attention and we pray to the spirit, open our eyes. God, set my mind on things above while I'm at work. Set my mind on things above while I'm engaging with my children. Set my mind on things above while I'm at the grocery store. It's always about the eternal. Because if our minds are set on things above, then Paul can easily move to put to death, therefore. Therefore, if your mind is set on things above, kill, kill the sin that's in you. Why? Because you're living for eternity. Set. We can become distracted by the long list of what everybody else has. You can have, some of you probably know the chorus, you can have all this world, but give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul. Because Jesus says before this, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Eternity. God is more worthy. The Savior is more worthy. This is the ramifications of the blessing. And as we go on, into this, we see the natural sons don't receive this blessing. The natural sons, not the blessing. They get blessings, so to speak, but not the blessing. Now, I want to see two things from the natural sons. First, 
through Abraham, the world, the world is blessed. These are a lot of children, and they comprise a lot of people groups that come. I would imagine, by the way, the original readers, who are they again? The Israelites wandering in the wilderness. Uh, do you guys remember what ethnicity group Moses' wife was? Midian. Midianite, right? Whoa! That's one of Keturah's children, right? So they know. They know the people groups that are around. And I would imagine even Moses' wife is like, oh, that's where I came from. Okay. Interesting. And what we find here in this is that Abraham, he does bless these children. He does gift them. Even though they don't get the blessing, his hands are open wide to bless them. Why? Because God said, through Abraham, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. He has open hands to give to them. And then he sends them away from this promised land. If you remember as well with Ishmael and Hagar, when they were sent away, God promised Abraham that he would make Ishmael a great nation. And now we read from Ishmael, there's 12 tribes coming from him. He's blessed with posterity, power, authority, and immense strength. But again, there's a clear contrast between these children and Isaac. We read in verse 17 about Ishmael. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. Now, that's interesting. He was gathered to his people. Abraham was gathered to his people. Ishmael is gathered to his people. The verbiage and phraseology and even the placement where Ishmael is and where he died and who he's gathered with, he's gathered with different people. Which means he has a different eternity. Ishmael's not gathered with Abraham and Sarah and Noah and Adam. Ishmael's gathered with people like Lamech and the people in Noah's day. Ishmael's gathered with his people. Which leads me to a second point. Natural blessings do not guarantee eternal blessings. I mean, I've already, I've already mentioned this, but I want to state it in a different way. You can be a person who thinks that because you're blessed in this life that God is approving of you. Have you ever fell into that trap before? I know I have. I think, oh, I guess all these blessings, God is good. God's okay with this. You, you can think because maybe you work hard or have a nice house or a good savings or you're moral or you have a general contentment in your life or maybe, you, maybe you're not very moral, but you're just like, whatever. I mean, everything's fine. Everything's okay. And because you don't have these immense punishments or whatever in your life, you don't think that there's a judgment you're going to face. Because you seem to have power and some sense of control in this life. You, don't th you think God is okay with you, and God doesn't see. You're not valuing God supremely. You love the stuff more than the giver. You're trusting in those things, and those things cannot give you eternal life. And I want to lovingly warn you, if that's you, warn you, God's kindnesses have a purpose, and it's not so that you would be blind to eternity. The Apostle Paul says, 
Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and, for, and patience? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to, say that, repentance. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Does it say God's righteous judgment may be revealed? No. Will. And you are storing it up. All the kindnesses are given to you to see that God is patient and gracious and he's calling you to see that he is better than the trite stuff of this world. Turn to him. Turn from your sins. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. It seems as though many of Keturah's children, Ishmael, and many of his descendants, they did not get this and did not understand. But clearly there were some who did. I imagine Moses' wife did trust the Lord. I know way later the Ninevites by Jonah were called to repent. And there was a season of repentance that took place in Nineveh. The natural blessings don't guarantee eternal. But the natural blessings are to say there is an eternity. And God is so much greater than this. Now, some of you could hear that, think about the main point. Okay, the supernatural son is the one who's blessed. And you could say, well, I'm not a supernatural son. I'm not Isaac, so how could I ever receive the blessing? And that gets us into this second point. I actually here have supernatural children receive the blessing. It's more than just Isaac here. We look at this narrative and this brief description of Isaac. And in verse 11, we read, Isaac settled in, Be- in Beer Lahai Roy. Do you, do you remember that place being brought up earlier in a narrative somewhere? If you don't, that's okay. That's where Hagar cried out to the Lord, and we're told that the Lord heard her cry, saw her. Um, this is also a place that in the future, Isaac is going to cry out in prayer to the Lord for his wife to have a child. This is also the place where Abraham had his beginnings and his sojourning. This is also a place that the nation of Israel, when they began their traversing into the promised land, they went through Beer Lahai Roy. This, this place communicates beginnings and prayer dependence. Isaac is here. Isaac sojourns and, and lives here where he is blessed with the promise of God and he begins here and seeks the Lord in communion. Prayer, dependence. They can have the world. Give me Jesus. Now Isaac, is already, as I already stated earlier, pointed forward to the seed of the woman. He is a seed, but he's not the And that seed that's going to come from that one, all the nations are going to be blessed so that people could not only be naturally born, but they could be supernaturally born. And you could say, where in the world are you getting this? Well, actually from the Bible. The promises were made to Abraham. Look at this. Were made to Abraham and to his offspring. Paul says, it does not say, and to his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring. God had a goal of one that's going to come. 
who is Jesus, the Christ, right? He says that here, Christ. Ultimately, the promise was to one seed. And then a little bit later, though, Paul, in writing, says, and if you are Christ, guess what? The offspring becomes plural, right? You are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to the promise. You join in with the same promise if you belong to Jesus. Because if you have turned from your sinfulness and you have turned to Jesus for reconciliation and forgiveness of your sins, then you are so united with Jesus that you are adopted into God's family. Isn't that amazing? That you are sons and daughters of God, cared for and loved by the eternal king and ruler. So my question for you, have have you turned to Jesus? Do you see how God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance and how God is so gracious to create sons and daughters from one son, one serpent crusher? Are you blessed in Christ? Think back to what I gave in the original illustration about the wedding. You've been given God's kindnesses. It's his invitation to the feast. Are you going to enter the feast having received Christ or try to enter presuming on the kindnesses? There's only one way to enter, through Jesus. This was Jesus' message when he was on the earth. This was John the Baptist's message that we read earlier in the service where John says, don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Bloodline will not guarantee blessing. So that's why I want to say again from John to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Are you naturally born or are you supernaturally born? Do you trust in Jesus alone as your salvation or do you trust in the things that you can see? And if you're trusting in Christ, are you looking forward to the feast? Meaning, are you setting your mind on things above? Are you more focused on the things around you than on the realities to come? Because if you are focused there, if you are set, you will know how to live in these times. God will grace you by the Spirit. The supernatural sons of Abraham, not the natural children, receive the eternal blessing of the Lord. I'm going to pray for us. The musicians are going to come up for a song of response. But I want you to ponder and ask ask the Lord, how do I apply this? Ask the Spirit to guide you. And as well, I just want to reiterate, as as every week this is the case, there are going to be people up here ready and willing to pray with you, for you, um, counsel if you feel you need that. If you have questions about what it means to be a Christian, there's people here ready to talk to you. But please, don't walk away from this time without heart application from the Lord. So you take a few minutes to pray silently, and then I will pray.
Oh, Father, we need you always. Help, Savior. If there are people here today who have become numb to the beauty and goodness and enthrallment of salvation in Jesus, convict them of their hard-heartedness. Melt their hearts of stone. Remove the calluses. Oh, Father, I think about how you say in the prophets that there was a famine of hearing. It wasn't that there was a famine of the message. It was that the people weren't listening. Oh, I pray that wouldn't be the case here. I pray we wouldn't be content sitting and listening to a message and not being affected in our desires. Oh, so Father, please affect our desires. Mold us so that not just today, but tomorrow and this coming week and every single day that we would rejoice that you are God and you save. Please, Father, even as we sing this song of how deep your love is for us, I pray we would not be presumptuous about your love, but we would be amazed. Wow, you love us. You love me. This is a work that only you can do, Father. So that's why I'm praying to you and asking that you would do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.